Welcome to Marin Costello Radio, where we have intentional conversations with impactful people. Your weekly dose of motivation, inspiration, and entrepreneurship. Join me as we explore the ins and outs of building and running a business, interview leaders across all industries, and find the common denominator beneath it all. Welcome to Marin Costello Radio. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Marin Costello Radio. We have such a special guest today. Netta Jones is both the founder and podcast host of her company, Liberty for Her. Through the Liberty platform, she is committed to sharing stories that inspire and equip new stories. Netta has spent the last 20 years as a consultant and advocate for entrepreneurial women, beginning her entrepreneurial career in 2000 with the launch of nedandshell.com, a retail and wholesale co-op for emerging female designers. For nine years, she has led the company as CEO and took great joy in seeing the co-op and its newly minted designers featured in well-known publications such as InStyle, Lucky, WWD, L, Daily Candy, and Washington Post. In 2008, she co-authored 16 Weeks to Your Dream Business, a how-to book published by McGraw-Hill. During the speaking and seminar opportunities that accompanied the book tour, Netta realized that her time working with female entrepreneurs was not over. In fact, it was just getting started. In 2011, Netta launched LTD Live, a sold-out conference created for female founders where Netta and I first met. Netta continued to grow her offerings to include workshops, consulting, and one-on-one coaching for female founders, myself included. At the time, Netta founded the Dream for a Dream initiative, wherein she has been able to partner with and support game-changing social organizations such as the Tory Tory Birch Foundation and Dermalogica. She also co-founded Project Raise, a social tour uniting female artisans from Swaziland and Mozambique with designers from the U.S. to form collaborative partnerships that would expand the marketplace for African women. Ladies and gentlemen, the one and only Netta Jones. Hello. Wow. That it's so funny to hear all of that and to be like, did I do? Yep. I did that. Yeah. I guess I've done that. But then I've got, you know, 53 years of living to, to, to show for it. That is so incredible. And not to mention that you are an incredible wife and mother to two beautiful children and just three, three. I have three. Yes. Can't leave any of them out. Oh my gosh, you have three children (laughs) and truly just the woman that does it all with such grace and positivity. And I'm just forever inspired by you. That's nice. And you need to spend a a day at the Jones house. (laughs) You will think totally differently. (laughs) What is a day in the life? It's, um, it's full, right? So, so a lot of it is navigating around the lives of the kids. If I'm honest, I have an 18 year old, a 16 year old and, um, a 13 year old, my 18 year old will be heading off to NYU soon. So that's crazy. Um, it's hard to believe. And uh, all the cliches are true. Like everything is just happening so fast, but a lot of it is just navigating work and, um, you know, family life, I think, uh, which is a huge priority and which really led to wanting to be an entrepreneur even before I had babies. I knew that that was, I wanted a flexible life. Um, I don't, I don't want to tell anybody that um, entrepreneurship leads to managing your time um, in, in a, in a, 
in a way that people might be led to believe it's short hours and short days, it's not. It's working late hours often to, um, to get the things done that need to get done while also living the life that I was hoping to live. And, you know, you haven't asked the question about balance, but I have to say here, um, I haven't found any 50-50 balance. There are times when I'm 80% focused on work and there are times when I'm 100% focused on family and it's a lot of ebbs and flows. And at the end of a lot, perhaps will be you know, some sort of 50-50 balance, but in the day-to-day, it's, it's a lot of um, navigating what needs my attention. It blows my mind because I'm party of one and I still struggle so much and not struggle, but I, I do the dance of trying to hack the day, the week, the hour to become more and more productive. And sometimes I, I feel like that journey is forever evolving. And so how do you kind of deal with and cope with the forever changes that come with life and with entrepreneurship? Yeah. When I had, um, so by the way, party of one, party of five, it doesn't matter. Like um, it's all relative. And I really believe that. Um, and you can get a lot more done that, than I can get done when it comes to navigating work because there's more time, but then that puts more pressure and taxes that one person. So it really is, it is relative. Um, I, when, I had, when I was pregnant with Sophia, my oldest, um, I remember waiting for this moment where everything was going to become crystal clear. I was going to have a schedule. I was going to know, just have this feeling that I just wanted to be with her all the time, or I just wanted to, um, I wanted to continue to focus on work while also being a mother. I was just waiting for this um, sort of moment. And it never, it never came. Still, still hasn't come. I think what I realized is um, I was free to make it what I wanted to make it and to shut out some outside noises. Um, and the feeling for me was just, there was more that I wanted to do. There was more that I wanted to accomplish. Um, I don't say, I don't say that, um, to say that people who, women who decide to focus on family 100%, um, aren't, are lacking in any way or isn't more for them. I think for them, it is, that is the fullness of their life for me. Um, I wanted that plus I wanted some uh, to do some other things and it took the form of empowering other women um, in entrepreneurial endeavors and I've done that in various forms uh, throughout the last 20 years and I think how I manage my time depends on that particular endeavor Um, you know when I started Ned and Shell I was single partner was my roommate um, and we could focus all of our attention on, on that. When um, I had Sophia, it started to be, okay, I'm focusing certain times of the day on work and I'm not able to do everything. And we used to do trade shows and we stopped doing trade shows because both of us were having babies. So we kind of, it was this constant dance of, okay, what are we gonna hang on to? We're gonna hang on to retail, but we're gonna let go of wholesale. Then um, we wrote this book together for McGraw-Hill. And when that launched, I was like, oh, I have a platform now. What should I do? And we launched, um, I launched the LTD Live conference that you mentioned. And in that, it took all of my attention. It was a conference for 500 women. 
Um, I was getting sponsorship. We were getting a location. It was all those things that go into event planning. And there were lots of pizza boxes that stacked up in our dining room as a result. So it's been a lot of sort of ebbs and flows depending on what I was focused on. And it also, all of that led me to sort of being an accidental consultant. Oh, if I consult, I can manage my time relative to my family's schedule and the kind of mom I want to be. I don't think there's any, um, there's any one way of doing it. And I think it should be navigated or monitored or um, the, the prescription is one that only you can come, come up with, I think is what I'm trying to say. I'd love to talk more about Ned and Shell and what it looked like for you to build out an e-commerce platform in 2000 and how it differs so much from today. Yeah, it's funny. Um, I realized it, it, when you were reading the bio, like saying featured in Daily Candy and Lucky, two publications, one online and one um, former that, that don't exist anymore, you know? Which and were I, my favorite, both of yeah, which, yeah. I mean, I went to daily. They were the best. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, Daily Candy, I think, um, paved the way for a lot of um, how we talk about content creation um, and, um, you know, email campaigns. They were very early on in a lot of that. And their luck wasn't, or, or their their um, strategy wasn't a funnel strategy. It was giving good content. And and they, um, they, they created something that a lot of people are still trying to um, duplicate. I think um, when we started, the concept was there was this thing called the WWW. And, um, and if you could get your product on the World Wide Web, then other people could buy it that were, you know, outside of a 20 mile radius um, from you. And I think, you know, it was thousands of dollars to create a website. It was so expensive and we had to find somebody who knew what they were doing. There was no, there was no nothing that I think, I mean, there was no, um, all these platforms, I don't want to mention names, but all these platforms that exist that many of us go to, um, to build our websites, um, to build our email campaigns. Those really didn't exist um, or they were in their infancy, some of them. Getting a URL, it was like so interesting because everybody was buying up URLs. I feel like it's yeah. the it's the grass is always greener kind of kind of mentality of, you know, in the early years, it was so expensive to develop a website, but the market was yours. I mean, you could capture as many audience members as you can. And, and back in those days, like email marketing was like, you read every single email that you got. And nowadays, like, yes, it's easier. Like the market is more saturated, but it's also easier to jumpstart everything. So it's kind of a catch 22 of, you know, which is easier uh, yeah. you know, which is, yeah, go ahead. You, you make a good point. I will say the one thing you didn't have that you have now is proof of concept. People didn't trust buying online. It was mm -hmm. such a hurdle for us to convince people that we, you could return it if the size didn't fit. Like this is, was a legit thing that you could do retail online. Um, convincing the people that we featured. So the concept with, um, with Ned and Shell was, kind of like what Etsy is today. We had um, 40 designers, 40, 40 um, females that were in creative industry. So they were fashion design, beauty, um, 
and some housewares and jewelry. Um, and we would, we would essentially give them real estate and then we would do all the drop shipping for them. So we would tell their story so that people could really become engaged in the, who the designer was. And then we had an arm um, that functioned like a PR agency. We would take this group, um, pitch them to different magazines. We were actually allowed to walk into Condé Nast at the time. Like it was just, it was a different day, but there was also a lot of convincing people that this was actually um, a real opportunity for them, for those designers. And it was a real um, game changer. And so that's something you don't have now. Now, every, no one, if you have a website, and people shop on it there's you don't have to convince anybody that that's a real way to do things right that's amazing what platform did you use back then and how much did it cost um I think we ended up spending if, if I'm guessing it was probably like $2,500 to build the initial website and then probably another and this is like with all the hacks and all the bootstraps, this wasn't like we went out and hired an agency. I mean, you can spend $10,000 now creating website, but this was like bare bones. And then all the changes and all the updates were constantly like $2,000 at a time. You know, we were, we were $2,000ing ourselves to death um, on the website. And then it became easy. I think I don't remember the platform to purchase the URL, but I remember when GoDaddy came along, we were like, oh, let's shift everything to this new platform, GoDaddy. And I don't know if we had just become aware of it. Um, and then we also didn't have, there wasn't anything that was like a simple Squarespace. We actually had somebody who created the platform, who created um, something that probably mimics more of a WordPress today but who created that and put it somehow in, in the cloud, as we call it today. Um, there wasn't um, a platform, again, that we were associated with. We had to go through him to change every single thing. We couldn't just go into WordPress like you can now or go into a Squarespace like you can now. Um, yeah, so it was very different. And during the nine years of Ned and Shell, that changed. I mean, I would say within year two, things had changed. And we were actually creating it. Have you ever seen those? Apple computers that have the translucent mm -hmm. colored backs. Like that was the computer we were using. Like it's so amazing. To think of. Yeah. Amazing. One thing that I find so inspiring and refreshing about reading your bio, which I mean, you and I have known each other as, you know, in a consulting space and a mentorship space for many years. Yeah. Um, in a couple of years, it'll be 10 years, which is crazy to think. Um, but what I find so fascinating is how you've had all of these distinct careers. And I think that for me, that's refreshing to, to see because, you know, I've been doing jewelry since the dinosaurs and to kind of see someone, you know, who I respect and love so much and who, you know, I want to emulate in certain ways, like to have seen you to know that you've gone through all these different chapters. So in those seasons, what kind of gave you permission or gave you inspiration to transition to the next thing or to maybe say, okay, maybe we're done with this. Like, let's, let's start something new. Yeah. It's funny that you're asking, cause there's a, there's, there's more transition ahead. Um, I think the, the through line for me was always wanting to work with female entrepreneurs. 
And the two things I wanted to do, because there's a million ways to work with female entrepreneurs. Um, the two things I wanted to do were inspire and equip. I felt like those people who only focused on inspiring left, left them hanging. Like it was great. It was great to go to a conference. It was great to, um, to be motivated, you know, hearing a speaker or whatever, but then you left and you went right back into your day to day and whatever the slog that, that kept you, um, from pursuing those dreams may have been. And so equipping was always important. And the way I equipped was different in Ned and Shell. It was physically creating a digital space and getting these people to market, trying to expand their marketplace, both in public relations, giving them, you know, uh, getting more people to hear about them and then through wholesale. Um, when I did the conference, it was being through driving people to the conference and then immediately it's like, oh, we need to do workshops because the conference isn't enough. Um, so, and then becoming a consultant one-on-one -on -one, uh, was the same thing. It was like, oh, there's more I can do with these, um, with these women to help get them to the next level. And in the podcast and the membership that we put together through COVID, all of those things were about inspiring and equipping these, um, these women, especially in that launch phase. I've always really been focused on getting the woman from like, I can do this to that five-year space. And something that's really unique about, I think, my generation is that we don't unlike today, entrepreneurship was not one of the options. Like it, no one said, and I think I wanna be an entrepreneur. Um, and those who did back when I was in my 20s and 30s, um, 20s in particular, I would say were, were really, um, I don't, I hate the word pioneering because no one does anything that's not on the backs of someone else. Um, but they were definitely, carving out a new path and there was a new narrative around what it meant to have a career that spanned a lifetime that wasn't no one was getting the gold watch for working anywhere for 25 years anymore that was shifting with my generation and so um for me it was i knew i wanted to be an entrepreneur and i wanted other women to be inspired and equipped to do the same to make the same choices i was making along the way amazing what was the shift from Ned and Shell to becoming a writer? Um, so the, the book was really inspired by the nine years of Ned and Shell. Michelle and I co-wrote it together. Um, and it was kind of a way of putting a bow on nine years of working together. We're still great friends. We, our families vacationed this summer together. Um, and, I think it was closing a chapter and also offering, it was the equipping piece. How do we offer, we've seen in nine years, 40 women at a time adds up to a lot of women, hundreds and hundreds of women we had seen come through the co-op. Some had succeeded um, and some hadn't. Rebecca Minkoff was one of our, one of the people in our co-op wow. way back in the day. So there were people that, um, and we're not responsible for her success, but I'm just saying there were people that um, we were able to see launch as a result of some of the early things that we had provided for them. And there were other people that didn't. So what did we learn in watching from a distance? Um, and what did we learn ourselves? And the book was really a way to close that chapter. Um, and then to start a new chapter in my case, that's what launched the conference. Is the book still available? 
It is available on Amazon. Um, every once in a while, someone will go on and say, um, I, I can't get one, you know, and then they'll, it'll like appear again, there'll be more. So I'm not sure if McGraw-Hill keeps sort of feeding the beast, the Amazon beast or, um, or how that's working, but it's there. It's, it's on Amazon. It may be a back order sort of thing. I need to get more of them. I, I'm running out. Well, if I find some, I'll let you know. Okay, let me know. Um, what it, would your advice be in working with a roommate slash friend? Because you, you and Michelle worked together for nine plus years. Yeah, it was hard um, navigating that in the beginning. I, re- I can remember we had rented a little space from a law office um, and we would go downstairs into this, into this space and just have some knockdown drag out um, arguments about who should be doing what and how we need to be respected by one another. And I think we kind of found early on, we found a tempo that worked for us and we found roles that worked for us. I think um, having done a lot of what I call partnership divorces as a consultant, um, I think you really need to think long and hard about a partnership. And I'll just give three bits of sort of advice, wisdom, take them, leave them. Um, one, you need to prioritize if that is a family um, member, is if it's a friend, you need to really prioritize the relationship and then leave it outside of work. You need to, you need to, you know, say it's a priority, but in this meeting, it's not, that's not the priority is the business. And that's very hard for people to do. They bring all of that into, and it can become very passive aggressive sort of way of relating to one another. Um, And it doesn't do either one of you or the business any good. The business is a child that needs both of your focus and attention. Um, So that's one thing. Two, you must, you absolutely must have a partnership agreement. You need to, you know, if someone wants to leave because they want to follow, you know, butterflies around the world or whatever, for whatever reason, it doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be a reason that you deem as good. If they want to exit, there needs to be an exit strategy. If they want to, you know, pick up half the company and take it, you guys have to work through those things. So some sort of partnership agreement. And I think the last thing is really look at somebody who has a completely different set of strengths than you. If you're coming together because you both have great taste and you both like to do all the other stuff. And you're going to constantly be fighting for who should be doing the thing that you both feel equipped to do. So I'd say those are the three things that people should be taking a look at. In the case of Michelle and I, we worked that out really quickly um, in the beginning, but it took some time. And we had a very, we have very different strengths. She was like, please, you be upfront and do all the talking and do all that. Let me do, you know, these other things. Um, and so we were able to establish that pretty early on. That reminds me of um, a story slash, slash experience that I had with my parents. My mom and dad had a bar restaurant and hotel for upward of 40 years. And I remember when I was younger, I was upset at my mom for something. And I was a, such a well-behaved kid, but for whatever reason, this was like the fight that really like I was holding on to so many emotions. And I remember going into the bar with them or the restaurant, right? I, not old enough to drink, but the restaurant. Um, um, and, uh, you know, my mom would walk by and I would start to talk to her about certain things. And she pulled me aside and she said, in this building, we don't bring our personal stuff. 
the second that we walk through these doors, it is business. And I thought to myself, I was so pissed in the moment because I was like, you're not seeing me. Like you're not paying attention. Of course I was like 12 or something. Right. Yeah. But I was like, this is so important to me in my little world right now. But as an adult, I thought, wow, my mom and dad could have been, and my parents get along swimmingly, but they could have been, you know, in a really intense argument and disagreement. And the second that they walk through those doors, it's business as usual. And I think that that for me is a great lesson of like adult make pretend Mm -hmm. and also of like managing expectations and managing emotions because when you do force yourself and it is a decision when you do make that decision to put your emotions aside and do the work and then come back to it later, chances are it's going to be a little less heated if your emotions aren't fueling you so much. Um, But that just reminded me of that story. I'm like, oh yeah, this is, this is, I mean, I grew up in that environment. I grew up in, you know, family business environment and um, it's challenging, but, but in hindsight, my parents never showed us, you know, the drama, if ever there were, if if ever there was any of their relationship nor the business. There was, you can be sure there was. That's, (laughs) That's impressive. And there's so much wisdom in it. And I will say, having said all of that, and even listening to your story, I do think there's, it's necessary to have times. And I will often say to people, pick out one or two retreat days a year with your partner. Mm. And then in those moments, you guys can come clean about how the partnership is making you feel, how you feel treated by this person when this comes up. It, it is important to flush those things out because the other thing you can do is there can be a lot of pent up um, anger and emotion and things like that, that like a tube of toothpaste, it'll squeeze out and it'll come out somewhere in the business. And you don't want that to happen as well. That's amazing. Let's talk about LTD Live and what the preparation for that looked like, how it maybe morphed behind the scenes into this big event. I imagine there were a lot of changing changes and you know pivots that you had to make leading up to the event itself. Yeah. Um, it was, um, I literally was, there's a mall in Pasadena, like an outdoor mall and across the street is our civic auditorium. And they had been revamping it. It's the civic auditorium that hosts like um, America's um, Got Talent. And, you know, it's that sort of building, if you can imagine what that looks like. And they were building a new conference center next to it. And I had watched it coming up. um, And at this point, I think my oldest was probably four. Um, And in any case, I was at the mall and I had been thinking, what am I going to do post book? I've got the book launch. McGraw-Hill had had us doing this little tour of Barnes and Noble. I need to say what's next. I need to be able to tell people what's next. I should just do a conference. So I walked over to the Civic Auditorium and I said, um, do you have any availability for a women's conference that I'd like to put on and we looked at the calendar and they're like yes our doors will be opened in the new building soon we looked at the schedule and they said yeah we've got this we just need a $2,500 deposit and I was like no problem I went back and I talked to my husband I was like I just I just need to put a $2,500 deposit on this conference center he's like for what and I was like I'm gonna do a conference he's like you're gonna do a why are you gonna do a conference (laughs) this is just what's next trust me So I did that not knowing what I was doing. I'd never done a conference before. I had done workshops and things like that through Net and Show. And and then 
a woman who had approached me to do, uh, she needed some consulting, was looking for kind of what's next for her. And she said she wanted to go into like um, development and fundraising for nonprofits. And I was like, could you hold off on that real quick and maybe help me do some sales for this conference and get some, some sponsors? And we just kind of focused our attention. You have to remember at the time, there weren't a lot of conferences for women in the entrepreneurial space. Most things for, were for CEOs and much more corporate. There was one organization that I was a part of in New York called Ladies Who Launch. And honestly, that was the only other organization I knew about for entrepreneurial women. I remember that organization. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And um and so, and in fact, Amy Swift, who was a part, she was the, the third person um, to join the two partners that founded it. She had moved to LA. So she was actually one of my speakers for the first two conferences we did. But in any case, it was just going to Nestle, going to Ikea, going to Wells Fargo, going to Hewitt Packard and saying, look, we're putting this on for female founders. We're going to have a lot of storytelling from the stage, a lot of sort of short seminars. Uh, breakout sessions. And the idea is to really get these women to not only consider the possibility of becoming an entrepreneur, but for those who already were to, were entrepreneurs to really help them grow. Can you help us facilitate this, not only in sponsorship dollars, but in putting this together? So Wells Fargo had, we had a Wells Fargo lounge and people could come and sign up for a small business account for free that day. There were people that were doing SBA loan sort of advice and they, you know, we had them at little tables. Nestle was giving the coffee at all these little tables. Um, HP had a, a Bluetooth, like from your phone to the printer, you could actually print something. So we had these little kiosks. So everything we were doing was to create um, not only an opportunity for the sponsor to, to engage with these women, but to show and tell the products that they had. Um, and we worked hard with a local newspaper to get the word out. Um, we were in a few local magazines, partnered with Wells Fargo on getting the proper advertising. And the goal was to sell out 500 tickets. And we did two years in a row. Um, it was, yeah, it was, it was amazing. It was a high, like I've never had, it was work like I've never done before. Um, uh, again, if you remember the ages of my kids, so I had one in diapers at the time. So it was, it was intense. It was a lot. Um, there's a great story five minutes before I was supposed to go on stage, um, to give kind of the opening of year two, the second conference. I got a call from my husband. He was taking my daughter to the hospital. She had broken her arm. And I was of course in a panic. Why well, I, I should be there. I shouldn't be here. He said, go keep going. We're going to, and we're going to come after the doctor's appointment. They showed up on stage and she had her purple cast and, um, Forbes magazine had a writer that was doing a, a story and they covered the story of Sophia breaking her arm and like the show must go on and what every sort of busy entrepreneur with or without kids sort of has to contend with. Um, and really the, the third year I did a digital conference. I tried to really take advantage of the digital space. And, um, and then we had, it was kind of twofold. We had a family crisis that needed our my attention. My husband um, had a, a health uh, issue that had come up, um, and it was we had found out we found out he um, was going to be losing mobility. He was diagnosed with a um, 
a disease called Kennedy's disease. And so we decided to pull our kids out of school. And for the next 18 months, I just traveled with them all around the United States and we ended in Mexico. Um, and I homeschooled and I'm not a homeschooler. It was very scary. <laughs> but what year was this? Um, this would have been 2013, I think. Yeah. Um, and the idea was just while he was mobile to do as much um, traveling uh, with the kids as, as we could, but he also had to work. So we couldn't do world travels because we needed him to join us on the weekends. Um, and when I came back from that, that trip cemented my sort of belief that entrepreneurship was uh, a vehicle for, um, for women in a way that they could live the kinds that they wanted. It was sort of, I believed it, but now I was sure of it because I was able to maintain a client or two while I was on the road. Um, it also helped me to focus when I came back and I said, I don't want to do the conference in order for me to monetize this conference and for it to be a really robust business, I would need to be doing like four cities a year. Um, and I didn't want to be away from my family. And when you're doing conferences, it's, it's tons and tons of energy and tons and tons of late nights. So perhaps I'll go back to it one day, but for, for now I had decided really the best thing for me. And this is where another morph came in was really to fo focus my attention on being doing small, um, workshops and being a one-on-one -on -one consultant. And that, and I did that solely for about 10 years. You also launched um, a networking group called Mentor Mondays, which um, I went to one of your workshops for LTD 365. And then that kind of parlayed for me into Mentor Mondays. And I've met so many people through that, one of which is Rachel Brown, my dearest friend, Rachel Brown. She's going to be on the on the show later this season. Oh, yes. um, but speak to that collaboration, because that was philanthropic in so many ways, I think. <laughs> Yeah, it, no, it absolutely was. It was a free offering. So it was born out of um, selfishness um, or, or management of time is probably a better way to put it. I had in consulting, I had, and, and I know that you've experienced this too, a lot of people who said, can I just pick your brain? Can I take you out to coffee? I just want to run something by you. And um, I was saying, yes for many, many years and then realizing, you know, I'm like eight hours in of caffeination a year and I don't really have the time and you do this. I don't want to say no to these women. I want to see to do it in a way that helps me to manage my time and honors the clients that I do have, the paying clients that I do have. So I, anytime somebody asks, I said, yes, you can meet me at X coffee shop this, you know, the, the second Monday of every month. And there'll be other women there and you can ask me questions and you can ask them questions. And it's sort of this cross mentoring, which is where the name came from Mentor Monday. At the time, my space, which you know, was in uh, the arts district in downtown LA, my office space. And uh, a new coffee shop was opening up called The Wheelhouse. And my now friend, Tammy, owned and ran The Wheelhouse. And so I walked over and I said, hey, could you be the permanent coffee shop if we do this Mentor Monday once, um, once a month? And she said, yes, that would be great. I've been wanting to do something um, that really brings the community together. This is great. So we ran that for 
um, I mean, it's still through COVID, we were doing it digitally, um, probably six or seven years. Gosh, is that really right? I don't know. Um, call it five plus years for sure. And what ended up happening was people started coming regularly because it was a way to see other entrepreneurs who were in the trenches to ask them, hey, who do you know that can help with a website? Who do you know who can help with branding? Who do you know that um, has real, uh, real uh, uh, retail experience? Sorry, sorry. And all of a sudden these relationships started to blossom. In fact, at one point, Tammy and I were counting how many collaborations had occurred after a single meeting. And it was like, oh, three today, oh, four. Um, you know, on any given day, there was something going on. And many of them, like you mentioned, became friendships. Um, we've had several leave the country. I mean, excuse me, leave the um, state, leave uh, California. And so at that point they said, hey, can I start a Mentor Monday in my state? And right before COVID, we had nine cities having Mentor Mondays, um, you know, every month. Um, what I learned in that is that what women really need is each other. What women really need when they have a business is kind of the emotional support that comes with talking to another entrepreneur. Because often in our lives, we don't have that person who can nod and say, I know your pain, I know your pain. And then we need them practically speaking, because we all have connections and contacts that we can bring, loop one another into. And that was sort of the, the, the genius of Mentor Monday. I mean, it truly was genius and just such a wonderful safe space. Mm -hmm. um, before I think safe spaces were commonplace. I feel like you are definitely, I mean, you use the word pioneer very humbly in the beginning, but it's very interesting for me to have experienced working with you and just being in each other's networks. I, I personally notice you doing things far before they're, they're popular to the masses. So I just want to say thank you so much for doing the work that you do. It has inspired me and benefited me in more ways than I can even tell you. And I'm just, I'm so grateful for you. Um, with your consulting, as you parlayed into consulting, I'm curious to know how you built out that structure, how you built out your client base. Um, was there a maximum amount of clients that you, that you wanted to take? Um, what kind of boundaries and limits did you put, not limits, but structure did you put around the type of people that you worked with um, to kind of advise anyone who might be interested in going into the consulting space? Yeah. Um, so it's, it's a funny thing when you're thinking of becoming a consultant, people come at it because you can have flexibility of schedule. You're really good with people. You like helping others fix problems. There's a variety of reasons that people become consultants. You have an expertise that you're trying to parlay into something. Um, I think for me, it was because it was an accident. It was, I did the conference and then people started saying, Hey, do you consult? And I was like, yeah, I guess I do. Um, or I will, you know, I can, I can help you. So why not? Um, I, I think what I realized is my sweet spot was in those early years, really helping you to get to the launch stage, prepare for launch. And then those few years after, if I talked to somebody that was in manufacturing plastic cups, I really don't have that much to offer them or I'd have to go very deep into their business to, to be able to offer them something that they don't already know. 
Um, now, if they were rebranding, if they were pivoting, if they were looking at other streams of revenue, perhaps um, those things would be new offerings and I could support them. So I really believed for me to give the value that I thought was um, they were going to get the most out of me um, was to focus on that one to five years. And so it was just really easy for me to be like, I'm the startup consultant, like come to me in that space. The other thing is there was, there were a lot of people who were in that startup space digitally and they were giving great content and great information. And instead of trying to carve out a space where I felt like I was in competition with them, I leaned on those people. So oftentimes I would say, you should go listen to these things from Marie Forleo. You should go listen to these things from somebody else who's more of a lifestyle coach, right? Who's really helping you to carve out what you want next in your life. That's not me. I'm helping you to launch a business. I'm not a lifestyle coach. In fact, I've had to fire people and say, you know, gentle exit. Like, I think you need a therapist. I'm not a therapist. Um, so it, I think for those listening, it's really getting clear on what you have to offer, where you can truly bring value um, and, you know, some people call it, what's your zone of genius? Um, and then give that away. That's what you're doing. You're giving, you're giving, you're finding a way to give that away. You do this much better than I do, Marin. You, I think, are very deliberate in the way you package your content and the way you give it to people. And it's much more prescribed. I think I was sort of learning as I went. I was the person who sat, maybe this is why they thought I was a therapist, but I sat with a notebook and sort of took notes on what they were saying, thought through it, and then came up with strategy for them. Um, considering all the things that were important, sometimes the strategy has to take or keep in mind all of their personal things, all of their personal boundaries, all of the things they want to achieve five years from now. And then you sort of, um, you know, reverse engineer those, those steps and uh, what's needed to get them to that place. And then slowly over time, I developed um, worksheets and things that I felt like were, were my way of doing things. Um, and I think that kind of carried me over the years. And in terms of where those clients came from, it was all word of mouth. Um, I didn't need, I'll be really honest, I didn't need to make a certain amount of money every year. I had, um, I was married and I, whatever I brought in was um, for, to run my business and um, to kind of do extra stuff in the family. So I think it's really important that I say that because um, a lot of people can be like, well, how does she navigate X, Y, Z? If they don't have the whole story, then we're not really doing, I'm not doing anybody a service. Um, now there were times where we did need to rely on my income and I did need to take on a few more clients and we, you know, there, there were those seasons. Um, but I wasn't worried about a roof over my head. Um, so I, that's, I just want to be clear about that. Now, what I did was I basically in the summers took less, uh, clients and in the fall and winters took more because I knew the kids would be in school. Um, and there were times that I had to navigate with my husband, like, it's all you, I'm fully booked with clients. Like you've got dinner, you've got pickups, you've got to deal with this. We had to hire help for, um, several years when I was most busy. Um, so I think you have to consider all of those things. Anybody who wants to, wants to look at consulting and, and how 
you can offer, are you going to offer it digitally? Are you in person? All of those things. This question comes up because you speak so highly of your husband, but what advice would you have to maintaining that spark, maintaining that relationship and that, I mean, when I look at you and your, your husband, I haven't, I've yet to meet him, but when I, what I know of how you speak of him and what I see, at least on the internet, it looks as if you guys really truly enjoy each other's company and you love and respect each other so much. What would your advice be to both women, you know, in or out of careers in prioritizing that relationship? Yeah. Um, it's hard. It's work. I mean, I think anybody who thinks that, you know, the spark is just there because there's this like fantasy of, you know, oh, it's just always loving all the time. It's work and it's making time for one another. And, you know, in fact, we just booked a, a trip to go away with um, another couple soon. And it was like, we shouldn't be doing this. And the kids are going to be so busy. And it was like, we have, we have to do this. We just, even the time on the airplane together is going to be important. Um, so I, I think the, the number one thing I'll say for me is that there's a mutual respect for one another. He respects me. He respects the work that I do. It's a value when I feel like I'm not seeing evidence that it's a value because, you know, um, he's prioritizing his work by saying, can you get dinner going and not asking me in advance, things like that. We have to have a, we have to have a conversation. Conversely, I respect him and I respect the work that he's doing and the, what it is allowing our family to do. So it's, it's, you know, it's reciprocal. I always, I also respect his brain. I often will ask him for advice about, I'm in this situation with a particular client or an opportunity that's come my way. What do you think? Um, and uh, he is very much a part of the, the decision-making process. He's not a decision-maker in the process. I'm the decision-maker for, for, for those things, but he's part of my process. Um, and we're friends. We enjoy each other's company. Um, I think intellectually we enjoy each other. And so we want to spend time hearing from the other person. Um, and it gets harder when you have kids, especially when they're going in a million different places. We are often texting and emailing each other in our own homes because we just are trying to communicate. Um, but they take up the lion's share of our kind of emotional space. So um, I think to answer your question, it's, it's respect above all, and then making time for that spark to, to, to give oxygen to that spark. Otherwise it, it will go out. It, you know, you've got to, it's, it's an ongoing process and anybody I've talked to who I respect their relationship with their significant other will say the same thing. It takes work. It takes, um, it takes prioritizing each other. Do you have any mentors that you see yourself? Where do you seek your guidance and mentorship? Yeah, um, I don't have, you know, I, for, for many years, I was frustrated by this. Like, oh, I just want to have somebody that's kind of just a few steps ahead of me. And I've mentored several people, you know, kind of um, from, from afar or very deliberately, like I meet with certain people once a month. Um, and it's not necessarily, it's more kind of just life mentoring. It's not for work. Um, and I've 
longed to have that. And I realized that my mentors have come in the form of books and, um, you know, um, I'm a big biography person. So following along as sto stories, if, if, if left to my own devices, you would watch me or you would see me watching Netflix biographies all day, every day. And it could be anything from chef's table to, you know, Magnolia Network has just put out a few series from some women that I'm interested in following. And I've like, I'm just, my kids are like, she's, she's in a trans, she's, she's lost in someone's story. Um, and I think it's probably why I love podcasting so much because I get to be curious and ask about other people's stories and, and hope that it inspires people to create their own, myself included. Very important question. What is your hair regimen? Because your hair is always so beautiful and on point. I really should have started the show with this one because I'm like, how do you always look like you just walked out of the salon? Um, okay. I have the curliest of hair and I'm sure it's like, if you saw the back, it's still like wet and curly. Um, I, I don't think that my hair looks like I walked out of the salon, so I don't know, but I will tell you, I use that rolling brush blow dryer um, okay. Bar makes one, Revlon makes one, you know, like it's a 50, $60 investment, but that's because my hair is so curly and it's, and I can, you know, I can pretty much get it done in under 12 minutes. So I, I don't, I don't, I never go to any of those blow dry places because no one knows what to do with my hair. It's ringlet curly. It's very curly. If ever you were called to record yourself doing your hair, I will gladly I will okay. gladly sign up for the subscription because I am I dying to know. I will do it. it. Says the person who has great hair herself, but I will do it. I'll do it just for you. I will do oh. it just for you. Yes, I've peaked. I love this. <laughs> um, so what's next for Netta and all things Liberty? Yeah, so, you know, I think Liberty has, it started out as a podcast um, while I was consulting. It was my side hustle. It was my little, kind of my little baby over here. And uh, we launched a membership and through COVID really leaned into, um, hey, everything here's free, just come and get it. We're pausing on the paid membership. I think now as we come out of COVID and I say that with hope, <laughs> uh, hope in my voice and my heart, right? this Delta thing has got me all freaked out. In California, everything is, you know, everything's freaked out. Everybody's freaked out about everything. But um as we emerge from that, I think it's time for another pivot for me. It will still be uh, focused on Liberty and the podcast, but I want to create more content. I want to create more storytelling opportunities um, to equip, to inspire. Um, and I'm sort of fascinated with um, the lack of storytelling that women over 40 have access to. And the lack of, there, there is this thing, I just posted about it yesterday in my personal Instagram, but there's something happens where I think at 40, 45, it depends on where you live in the country and, and who you are and who you surround yourself with. But there's this sense of, I, 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 I missed out. I didn't, I didn't do this. It's too late now. I didn't do the thing I was supposed to do. And I really believe that nagging, that thing that you want to birth, I don't care how big or small it is. Um, it can be, can lead you to depression. It can lead you to feeling unfulfilled in so many parts of your life. It can lead you to find other ways to fulfill that hole that only you can fulfill in, you know, the particular niche that I'm 
trying to support women in is entrepreneurship. And for me, entrepreneurship is not just a for-profit business. It's nonprofit, it's book writing, it's you know, creating a documentary, it's, do, it's doing something, starting something that is giving meaning to your life. And I really want to turn up the volume on being a voice for those women. And they're out there. We just need to highlight them and show them. And one of the things I respect so much about the, your generation, uh, the millennial generation, and I think Gen, Gen Z is right there behind you guys, is the way they, they view themselves and value themselves and put that career, you know, really are thoughtful about how they want to leave their mark and impact the world. Um, but there's, there's not enough of those voices in that kind of older millennial and Gen Z and Shirley Boomer. And I think I want to spend some more time highlighting highlighting those people. I never want to be just for, I never want to be make liberty just for a certain demographic because another thing that I firmly believe is that we need to cross mentor one another. I learned so much from you. I learned so much from listening to you. I learned so much from watching the way you work, whether it's in your Instagram or the way you talk to people. Um, and so I don't want to, I don't think this isolated generational thing is a good idea for any of us. Um, and I think that the generations behind me have so much to learn uh, from what we've done and where we've been. And I have so much to learn from those, you know, the boomer generation that came before me. Um, so I think what's next for Liberty is a lot more storytelling that's cross-generational. Well, somehow it's been an hour and I can't <laughs> believe it. We blinked and I feel like you and I could speak for days about everything, all the things. But I want to um, ask you, where can we find you? Where can our listeners find you? Thank you. That's generous. Um, you can find me at libertyforher.com, at Liberty for Her Everything, especially Instagram. That's where I show up. If you see me on Facebook, it's just because I've forwarded my Instagram. Don't send me a message there. Uh, DM me, contact me. I'd love to hear from you. And then um, you can also come to my personal Instagram, which is Netta Jones, at N-A-D-A-J-O-N-E-S. Um, and I have a website that's both Netta Jones and Liberty for Her. Netta Jones is focused on the consulting, which is ending. There's an official end that will be announced soon. And so really spend, spend your energy on libertyforher.com. I love it. Well, I adore you. You're just one of truly one of my favorite people on the planet. And I'm just so grateful for, for your friendship and for your time today and sharing all of your knowledge with everyone here. Thank you. Thanks for creating the space for us to talk. I appreciate it. And for the work that you're doing to inspire and equip others as well. Oh my gosh. The feeling is so mutual. Love you, friend. Love you. Talk to you soon. Oh my goodness, folks. That interview is absolutely everything. A huge thank you to Netta Jones for equipping and inspiring us on this show. A big thank you to our radio station, Dash Radio, and to our producers at Island City Media Group, if you liked this podcast, please like, follow, and subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And if you want to connect with me offline, you can find me on Instagram at Marin Costello and Marin Costello Radio. Wishing you all a wonderful weekend, and we will see you next week. Yeah, yeah. Looking back at the times we put in some crazy vibe It's been me, it's been you, only one that I would die for You've been solid, been a hundred, ain't nobody got my back When it comes for that loving, ooh You put the gas
ass hit a coupe when I was down It was you, they see the granny, see you, yeah Perfect too, ain't no deuce I'm just loving what you do Baby, stay up in my mind I know, with you and I We got that tie Just 